0: If you would, turn in your Bible to 1 John, chapter 5. And while you turn there, I want to ask Kenny to come on up. Come on up, Kenny. Kenny's got a a little, uh, he just won the NBA finals. Look at that. Let me find you a mic. All right, that's not a finals trophy, but what is it?
1: A lot of y'all know uh, Tough. Um, I've been running a sports program through uh, the Guard Church for like the last three years. Two years of football, we've been coming short, uh, Super Bowls, trip to uh, Chicago, flying back, surprised by my team. This year, um, we started the basketball, and with this season, it's been like a real emotional season for me. Um, one of my players right here, which is my, my star quarterback for my football team, Tay-Tay, and my center, Helped us win a championship yesterday. Um, it started off with a rough season. We didn't even know we was gonna make it or continue our season. My uh, little brother was killed. I was like, man, I was gonna quit. They just said, keep going. So my boys like, man, kid, we gonna play. We are gonna play. Days I couldn't make it. They still went there. They got a uh, forty-point blowout. I wasn't there. Recently, we had a uh, fight. We were suspended from a game. Uh, we was up twenty points. My teammate was fouled. Um, recently. My sisters were hospitalized um, during these last couple of days. So, um, the winning, it was like, um, it was a good thing, because it was more emotional for me. But um, for the supporters like Ark, Cindy, everybody came out to our games, I appreciated um, the prayers. It was a strong season, man. We I almost gave up my boys, but it just something just gave me hope, like to keep it going. And they showed up every Saturday when I had to just to play game at the game. We were suspended, we were treated wrong, but I just felt like, man, that's we just gonna go even harder. That's just just go hard. That's not quit. And with them, they more helpful for to me. For they came together, they kept me as one. They like more therapeutic to me. So everybody came out and support us, came out of games. I, like, I appreciate y'all. I thank y'all for y'all prayers. um we us one another one next season.
0: We need to get a picture of you kissing the trophy. <laughs> you, hey, well, let's get a picture. Have you got, you got your, are you the representation here? Why don't you uh, kiss, kiss your trophy, not your player? Oh, come on, my phone's full. Somebody help me. You got it? My phone's full. She's got it. Hey, let's give them a round of applause, everybody. League champion right there. Uh, I'll continue to pray for uh, Kenny as he reaches out into the community and uh, runs his sports program. Kenny's an intern at the church as well, and uh, just continue to pray that God would use him. I'm going to ask Stephanie to come on up really quick, unannounced or unprepared, I should say. I'm announcing it now. Come on up, Stephanie, and share everybody just a brief word about where we went last week
2: morning. So we, uh, Montrell and I, Joel, Jess, and Chapman, had a whopping four and a half months, uh, flew out to Scotland uh, last week to visit a ministry called 20 Schemes, uh, and their goal is to plant churches and schemes, and schemes is the equivalent of projects or um, Section 8 housing. That's that's what their equivalent is um, in Scotland. So uh, we got there, and besides the accents and a little bit of a dreary, like, well, it only rained like half a day. But besides those, um, you'd be surprised how similar uh, it was. Uh, we got to look at how they make church planner assessments. Um, we tried to, we looked at how they did internships in their churches. We also got to meet a lot of the members. And uh, something that just stuck out to me to, was to see maybe the hospitality that was shown through every member um, and every, everybody that came into the church. Um, another similarity is that, uh, that there was God's people everywhere. Um, so we would have conversations with people that didn't look like me but upon explaining how God saved them uh, we looked uh, in essence we still didn't look like each other but um, we had the same bond and so it was neat to remember like there is a church in Scotland there's seven churches that are preaching the same gospel the same word of God that's timeless that believe the same things that we do that are worshiping just five hours um, earlier than we are so it was really really good to see and I think As we seek to uh, solidify more of what One Hope does, um, I think it will bring a lot of clarity and hopefully you guys will get to hear more about that um, in the months to come.
0: 1 John chapter 5, I hope you're there, verse 16 and 17, it reads this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. Everybody take a deep breath after that. read that text to my family the other day in our time of devotional Uh, devotions together and uh, looked up at everybody and they were confused, like, what was that about? So on that note, let's pray and ask God to help us as we get into this text this morning. Father, we do ask that you would speak to us this morning, pray that we would not get lost in a confusion of words and difficulty in interpretation, but that we would see the main point is the clear point, that you would help us, Lord, to grow in our prayers one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amanda from our church, she works at the ER at Hopkins. And I don't know if you know anything about the ER at Hopkins, but the ER at Hopkins is hopping, all right? It's a busy place to work. So I was at Hopkins visiting one of our other members who just so happened to be there with a brain bleed, the right reverend, bishop elder Montrell hey, good, and, um, uh, and and Amanda finishes her um, shift in the ER and comes on up to visit Montreal as well, so we're kind of chatting a little bit, and I asked Amanda, how was your night in the ER, how was your day, and she said, it was, it was all right, it was, it was pretty decent, and uh, she said, we did actually have somebody come in who was shot 23 times. And I did. I did uh, give CPR to somebody. They they didn't make it, uh, but it was pretty slow. Like she lives a different life than I live. All right, you know you you're, you're probably not gonna find me giving CPR to somebody. Now I will if I have to, but I don't even know how. All right, I got. I've had the training like three times. I would have to just figure it out as I go. But uh, it hit me like. This sister, part of our church, regular, ordinary person, is regularly doing CPR on people who don't make it. And seeing people die. Like, it's just a world that I'm not familiar with. And so I asked her, I said, um, how do you deal with it? Do you just, do you just become calloused to it? Do you just grow numb to it? How do you deal with all of that death? And her answer has kind of stuck with me. What she said was, I don't want to grow numb to it. That's a good answer. That stuck with me because I don't want to grow numb to it either. You know, in some ways, we can grow numb to death. You know, I think sometimes living in Baltimore City, hearing of, Friends pass. Another person shot. It's easy in some ways to grow numb to the news. And I think even more so, if we can kind of turn this in a spiritual direction, not just physical death, but it's easy to grow numb to spiritual death. It's easy to grow numb to the fact that we see chaos All around us, people who are rejecting God and living for themselves and sinning. And it's easy for sin to grow numb to us, for it to become normal, for for us to become callous to to sin. I wonder, when you see somebody sin, does that horrify you? It should, but it doesn't, because we're so used to seeing it. Like, we make movies all about people sinning, and we think nothing of it. We listen to music all about people sinning, and we think nothing of it. So let me ask you this question, then. How do you respond when you see someone, in particular a believer, sin? Well, I think we typically have one of two responses. As sinners who sin, we typically sin in our response to seeing somebody sin. All right? Are you tracking with me? Are you sure? I know Jody is. Is anybody else? All right, good. So on one hand, we have a response of just ignoring it. We've grown numb to it. We've grown callous to it. And we just can kind of ignore sin and be like, it's not a big deal. Minimize it. On the other hand, we tend to uh, despise the person. We tend to look down at the person. We tend to get all judgmental and think, man, I'm better than that person because I'm not committing the the sin that they committed. I wonder how you respond when you see a believer commit a sin. Do you ignore it or do you despise the person? What is our response? So I want to talk to you this morning on this title, I Saw My Brother sin. I saw my sister sin. What do I do? What do you do? Well, that's what John's text is about here. We are in this series. We're coming toward the end of this series in 1 John. And John has been talking about prayer. And he's moved it now into a particular application of prayer. And he's talking to us on this theme what do you do when you see your brother sin? What do you do when you see a fellow church member commit a sin? What's your response supposed to be? So let's look at it first. I'm going to go under two headings here. First, the first heading is this. We have a divine direction as to what to do. We have divine direction and we have a divine promise as well as we follow that divine direction, all right? So let's check it out. Divine direction. God doesn't leave us just trying to figure it out on our own. He doesn't say, hey, write the book, write the manual on what to do when somebody sins. God actually tells us what to do when we see somebody sin. And what we see here in this text is a very common situation and a very uncommon solution. So look at verse 16. He says, if anybody sees his brother committing a sin, stop right there. That is a common situation. How many of you have seen a believer commit a sin? Raise your hand. Who has never seen a Christian commit a sin? I'm just curious. Okay, we got one. All right, you've probably already seen me sin this morning, but you just don't know it. It's pretty common to see other people sin. It's a common situation that he. If anybody sees a brother sin, there are a lot of things that are common in life. I feel like stoplights are common in my life. Like every morning, I'm taking my kids to school, and I, I pull out on McCullough Street, and I come to make a right onto McMicken Street right here, and I hit a stoplight every time, and I can't turn right on red there because of the fire department. So I got to wait, and I take a right, and then I come up to Utah, and I get another stoplight. Well, I can take a right-on-red right there, at least. I'm going to take a shortcut, go down to Lafayette, I get another red at Lafayette. Finally, it turns green, I take a left, and I get another. I can't even cross over Utah. If you guys are familiar with the way this neighborhood works, you know what I'm talking about. You better say amen. Stoplights are common. What else is coming, I think, is seeing people sin. It's coming. It happens all the time. You might not even realize it. Now, sometimes it's very um, explicit. Sometimes we could we call it a big sin, or it's sort of like very clear, grievous sort of sin. Meaning, like maybe you go out, and you're hanging out with somebody, and they just get smeared. They get, you're, they get wasted, or you, you're you're talking with a brother from church, and he just straight up goes off and loses his temper, and he starts throwing things and and cursing everything in sight. But but more often than not, it's subtle, isn't it? More often than not, it's subtle. Like for instance you're hanging out in a group and someone just starts talking and what they're doing is gossiping and it takes you five seconds to realize it. What do you do when you see somebody commit a sin? Or, or maybe, uh, maybe somebody's just skipping church for dumb reasons. That's a sin. The Bible says do not forsake the assembly of, God, uh, uh, of the believers. So it's a sin to skip church. But it's subtle. So what do we do? What do you do when you see another believer, say a church member, commit a sin? Whether it's grievous, church members back out in the corner and you see them buying drugs or selling, or whether it's subtle. What do you do when you see this common situation? What do you do when your spouse loses it with your kids and you see your spouse commit a sin? What do you do when your your friend from church spends the night at her boyfriend's house? What do you do when you see two people who are not married put themselves into an inappropriate situation and they belong to the church? We would call them a brother. We would call them a sister. What do you do when someone who's a Christian clearly treats one person differently than another person because of the color of their skin? What do you do when you see this common situation, which you will probably encounter today, of another believer sinning? Well, it's a common situation. He gives us an uncommon solution. What's the solution? Well, he's clear. He says, if anybody sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask. Everybody say ask. Ask. He's talking about prayer there. He just came out of talking about prayer. and He's talking about prayer. He's talking about asking God. They shall ask of God. What do you do? This is the uncommon solution. When I see a brother or sister sin, I am to ask of God. I'm to pray for them. That's what we are to do. 2 Samuel 12, verse 23. Samuel, as he's uh, nearing the end of his own ministry, Samuel says to his people, he says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. This is what Christians do. Christians pray for each other. That should be our most natural and normal, ordinary response is we pray for each other. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I wonder how often you are praying for others in the church. I wonder how often you see somebody sin and your immediate response is to pray for that individual. I wonder how often you're keeping files in your brain and you're remembering to pray for them during your quiet times. You see, so often our prayer life ends up being focused on who? Me. One theologian, he put it this way. He said, if we are not careful, we can get caught up in self-centered thinking. or oh, I'm sorry, self-centered praying in which we constantly ask for our own needs, but never come to God on behalf of others. There is certainly a time to pray for our needs, but the Bible has much to say about prayer as intercession for others. Listen, we as human beings are broken images of God. We are made in God's image, but it's as if the image is cracked, and it's not operating in the way that God has wired us to operate. Now, God doesn't leave us broken. God is restoring broken images. you tracking with me? He's making us whole. This is what we call redemption. He is, through Christ, making us a new creation. Now, part of God's restoration process is the believer praying, intercessing for another believer who's sinning. That's actually part of how God restores his image in people. He uses ordinary Christians like you and I to pray for each other. Secondly, we see this divine promise. So we have a direction given to us. When you see somebody sin, this is what you do, you pray. Here's the divine promise that comes with it. He goes on and he says, He shall ask and God will give him what? What does it say? You in the text with me? Life. life. It says, God will give him life. He will pray and God will give him life. I love this interaction that Jesus has with Peter before Jesus goes to the cross and dies. Peter, he's like this arrogant, like puffed up, I'm, I can do everything sort of guy. He's very confident in himself. And Jesus looks Peter right in the face. And Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now imagine with me, you could for a moment peel back the, the curtains of, of, of uh, the spiritual world. And you see the devil asking God a favor. And he says, God, I want to sift Nick like wheat. God, I want to I destroy that man. I want to tear him apart. I want to drain his blood out of his body. I want to clean out his noggin. I want to separate his bones from his tendons. I want to destroy him. How would you feel if you knew that Satan was making that kind of request? That's intense, isn't it? That's intense. Now, in the midst of this kind of request and in the midst of The temptation that Peter is about to experience, and even the fall that Peter is about to experience, Jesus is confident, cool, and collected. He looks at Peter and he says, essentially, my words, he says, but don't worry, I've already prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Like, he knows he's going to sin, right? Peter does fall. But Jesus is not freaking out. Jesus Jesus says, I've prayed for you. Now, how does Jesus have such confidence in his prayer for Peter? Well, we see it in the text here. We have a promise that we're given to us as we pray for believers who fall into sin, and that is that God will give them life. Look at the text with me again. It's very clear. He says, if anybody sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. God will answer. He will answer. Like, it seems that what he's saying is every time you see another believer sinning and you pray for them, that God will restore them every single time. This is the plain reading of the text. This is what Luther would call a sensus literalis, the literal sense of the text. And some people might say, well, that sounds too good to be true. Because I've certainly prayed for people, and it doesn't seem like they have been restored. Is it true that every time you see a believer falling into sin, and you pray for them, that God will every single time answer your request and give them life? Well, that's what it says. So is that true? Well, the answer is this, yes. Sort of. Let me explain. First, this only applies to Christians. This only applies to Christians. This is why I'm talking about believers here. You notice in verse 16, he says, if he sees his brother committing a sin. Now, brother is a word that we'll use like in common language today, and we'll just call each other brother. But in the Bible, brother is not used in some kind of flippant way. Brother in the Bible is used very carefully. Brother is only, or sister, would only be a term that is used to designate another believer. And so he's talking here about believers who fall into sin. And then he goes on and he qualifies this, and this is where it kind of gets confusing, and I'll try to explain it to you. He qualifies it and he says, if, if, if he sees a brother committing sin, not leading to death. Well, what does this mean, this not leading to death? And then he goes on and he says, he says that there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm, saying don't, I'm not saying to pray for that. I'm talking about praying for the, those who commit sins that are not leading to death. What is the difference between a sin not leading to death and a sin that is leading to death? And I think it's in the explanation of that that it all makes sense. So let me try to explain it to you what he's, what he's, what he's getting at here. There's essentially three options for a sin leading to death option number one would be murder that this is referring to somebody who's committed murder and as a result of committing murder then their life has to be taken so they've committed a sin leading to death now that doesn't make any sense because there are murderers who are forgiven amen and so he can't be talking about murder well, another possibility is that he's talking about someone who commits a sin that is so grievous that God will just kill that person. So, for instance, like Ananias and Sapphira, if you know that story. They sin in such a way that God makes an example out of them and he just kills them right on the spot. Well, I don't think he's talking about that either because that would just not be practical. And, and typically, we're not seeing that happen. You know, like I've never seen somebody commit some atrocious sin and then boom wow god just killed them i'm not not saying it doesn't happen but i think that's so rare and unusual that that can't be what he's getting at here i think the only option here is that he's referring to eternal death eternal death not physical death what is the sin that leads to eternal death every time Blasphemy. Somebody said it. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? We're having some theology conversations right now. Of course, people debate this. Here's my thought. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is resisting what the Holy Spirit is trying to show you. What is the Holy Spirit trying to show us? The Holy Spirit is trying to show us the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lifts up Christ and says, believe in Christ. And if we resist the work of the Holy Spirit, what we are doing is we are resisting the Savior. That is the one sin that God cannot and will not forgive is if you reject Jesus Christ. All sin is forgivable. Think about this. Murder is a sin that God is ready to forgive. Rape is a sin that God is ready to forgive to forgive theft is a sin that God is ready to forgive bashing somebody's head in is a sin that God is ready to forgive God is ready to forgive your sin but the one sin that God cannot and will not forgive is if you reject the Savior you see Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of our sins On the cross, Jesus took on the sin of rape, the sin of murder, the sin of theft, the sin of bashing somebody's head in. He took all of our sins on, sins that we know we committed, sins that we never knew we committed. He took all of that on himself. And the wrath of God for your sin came down onto Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. And he paid it all. He took every bit of hell for you. He took all of God's wrath for your sin and it crushed him and it killed him and he was buried in the ground. But then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And he looks across and he says, Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary. Come to me. All who need a Savior. Come to me. Come to me. You need your sins forgiven, friends. I'm telling you that and I'm pleading with you now. Turn to Christ. Run to Christ. See Him. Cling to Him. Call out for Him. What must I do to be saved? Repent. Turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Now, if we reject Christ, we are committing a sin that leads to death. You see what John is saying here? What I think John is saying is this. For all who have had the blood of Jesus Christ applied to them, They have the great hope of redemption. And when you see them sin, plead the blood. Call out the sacrificial blood. Call out the work of restoration that God is doing and has promised for this individual and pray for them. But if they are an individual who has rejected Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm not not talking about them. That's essentially what he's saying. And now remember, John is dealing here with people who have left the church. He's dealing with people who have people who have rejected Jesus Christ. And I think John is actually saying what I'm saying applies to those who are in the church, not those who are outside of the church. Now John is not saying you're not allowed to pray for the salvation of people. That's not what he's getting at. That's just not his that's not his point right now. You see what I'm saying? He's getting at another point. The point he's getting at is a promise that you will see this prayer request answered. Why? It's because God has made promises to his people. And he has made no promises to those who reject Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29 and 30. It says, For all he foreknew, he predestined. And all he predestined, he called. And all he called, he justified. And all he justified, he Glorified, or will glorify. What that means is that if you have been called by God, the Spirit has woken you up, you've seen Christ, you've trusted in Christ, then you have been justified. And if you have been justified, friends, you will not lose your justification. You will be glorified. And so when we see, then, a justified believer, the blood of Christ has been applied to this individual, and they are falling into sin, we, we plead the blood of Christ. We say, God, may your will be, be done for this individual. May they stay on this road. May they be restored so that your promise to them might be true that they will one day be glorified in heaven for all of eternity with Jesus Christ. So what do you do? You pray, and you know that he will be faithful to the promise that he has made in this person's life, and this person will be restored. Now, there's no timetable given. There's no time, no time frame. It's not like he doesn't say, hey, he'll be restored within a day. It doesn't say he'll be restored to life within a week. Like, you might actually excommunicate this brother or sister from the church Because they're no longer giving evidence of being a Christian. And it might be three years before God answers that prayer request. But what he's saying is is that if they are legit, if they're truly a believer, if they have been redeemed, they've been made new, then that request will be answered at some point. Before they die, they will bear fruit. They will bear fruit. You tracking with me? verse 17 as he summarizes it here himself I want to try to summarize it for you all wrongdoing is sin but there is sin that does not lead to death and what I think John is saying here is those two things we can't ignore it we can't ignore sin but we ought to also have a great hope in the work that God is doing in this person's life and pray for them you see, he says all wrongdoing is sin, which means don't ever minimize sin in somebody's life. Don't ever see somebody sin and just go, like, eh, whatever. No, he's saying all wrongdoing is sin. Like it's it's tr- high treason against God. Don't minimize that. But, he says, but there is sin that doesn't lead to death. What he's saying is, is that there are sins that are forgiven. And that is the sins that the believer commits. So we then pray with great hope and great confidence and great assurance that God is going to be true and faithful to his promises to us. And so therefore we do not ignore nor do we despise those who sin. Going back to this story with Jesus and Peter, Jesus says, look Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He's asked to destroy you. None of us probably have ever experienced the kind of temptation, fall, shame, and misery that Peter experienced when Satan began sifting him like wheat. But remember Jesus' response. It's in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32. Let me actually read you this verse. Jesus says this to Peter. He says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, or Peter, that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Essentially what he's saying is this, Peter, Satan has asked to destroy you, but don't worry, I've already prayed for you. And what I've prayed is that your faith will remain. You will come out of this. And listen, when you do, I want you to look at your fellow believers, and I want you to minister to them. Oh, I can only imagine Peter's own restoration as he experiences the prayer request of Jesus Christ answered in his own life. As he sees restoration come and as he remind, is reminded of what Jesus said in his he turns and he ministers to his brothers. I wonder how he ministers to those brothers he sees falling into sin. I bet you I know what he did. I bet you he would pray for them. As... Believers, because we are recipients of God's grace, we know this. What we know is that God is a gracious and merciful Savior. And because God is a gracious and merciful Savior who has promised redemption to all those who have been recipients of the blood of Christ, He's opened their eyes to faith. He's sealed them with the Holy Spirit. He's sanctifying them. He's working in them. He's restoring them. He's promised that I will never lose you. Nobody will pluck you out of my hand. You're going to be glorified. Because we know the character of God, we as believers cannot, we can neither ignore, nor can we despise the believer that we see fall into sin. We cannot minimize it. We cannot just simply look down our nose at those who fall into sin. We cannot avoid, nor can we abominate them. We cannot reject, nor can we refile them. But what do we do? We pray for them. You see, religious people, they look down their noses at believers when they sin. When a believer sins the religious type, he thinks, man, I am so glad that I'm not like that person. What a fool. I can't believe that they, they don't know how to get themselves up and get to church in the morning. What a fool. Look at me, I'm here. They they revile them. They despise them. Oh, I don't even want to I don't even want to talk to them when I see him. I'm not gonna like their status passive-aggressive. But the, the irreligious, though, they just minimize it. Those who are irreligious, they see somebody sitting there like, hey, man, no, it's no problem. We all screw up. It's all good. I'm not going to say anything. You're not going to say anything. We're just going to keep, I'm not going not to approach them on that. That's between them and whatever. I ain't the judge. That's the response to the Irreligious. We we cannot ignore it, nor can we despise them. What is the response of somebody who's part of the kingdom of God? Our response is to see sin and to know what sin is. Sin is cosmic treason against God. All wrongdoing is sin. We can't ignore it. Yet at the same time, being recipients of God's grace, we do not despise them, but we see them in the same way that Jesus sees them. This is the child of God. And God already knows what they're going to look like when they're glorified. And so then we go to God and we say, God, may your will be done in their life. We pray. That's the response. That's the kingdom response. That's the Christian response. We plead the blood of Christ. Too often we fall into gossip, don't we? Too often we fall into condemnation. And that's because we have so often a works based mentality. We think we've actually done something to earn the favor of God. And so, because this person has not, then therefore they have not earned my favor either. But God has changed us. You see, I was a wretch, a sinner. All of my righteousness was, as the Bible says, used toilet paper. Filthy. But we've been changed, haven't we? Because of Christ, we've been changed. We were the snot of the earth, now we're the salt of the earth. We've been changed. He's picked us up. Turned us around, set our feet on solid ground. He's made us into a new creation. And if he's done that in my life, I know he is going to do that and is doing that in your life. And so when I see you do the same thing that I've probably done as well, what is my response to be? God, do the work in their life. Change them. Let me just close with two applications. Think of this as like two handles on a bicycle, all right? You want to keep your hands on both handles. It's a big bike. This is like a, uh, yeah, it's one of those. Number one, when you see sin in your own life, no matter how small it is, recognize it, confess it, and turn from it. Someone once said, if you live in a graveyard too long, you stop weeping when people die. You live in sin too long, you become callous to it. That's why we're callous to it. We stop weeping when we see others sin. It just gives us a license. Friends, when you see sin in your life, turn from it immediately. Confess it, at least to God. It helps to confess it to each other. Fight against it. Don't let sin remain in you or it will fester and stink. And secondly, when you see sin in someone else, I want you to commit right now that you will pray for that individual. Pray for them. When you see sin in a believer's life, fellow church member, pray for that person and then commit to being part of their restoration. Prayer is really the first step. If I had another hour, I'd give you a whole other sermon on restoration. But I'll close with this. Galatians 6.1 says, you who are spiritual, restore the person that is in sin. Well, I've quoted that verse to so many people, and people are like, well, I'm not spiritual, so I guess that takes me out of it. I don't have to be part of the restoration process because I'm not spiritual. All right, stop with your excuses. What, what does it mean to be, be spiritual? Well, it's not some kind of like modern cultural sort of like standard of like, oh, I'm a, such a spiritual giant. I think what Galatians 6.1 is talking about is that we are a spiritual people, meaning we are thinking spiritually. How do we think spiritually? We pray. We pray. So I see John Doe cross the street committing a sin, and he's a member of my church. What do I do? I pray for that brother. And I say, God, I'm pleading the blood of Christ on him. He's made a profession of faith. I think he's a Christian. May your work be done in his life. You know what? I think that puts me into the category of spiritual. I'm thinking spiritually. And so now it's my job to talk to that brother and to be part of the restoration process as we as a community show people what forgiveness looks like. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and close in prayer together. Father, we thank you for this time that we are together. We ask, God, that you would help us to despise sin and not despise our brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen into it. God, we pray that we would see our brothers and sisters with the eyes of Jesus Christ, and that when they sin, that we will pray for them and be part of their restoration process. God, I pray for those who are outside of Christ. I pray for those in this room right now who are rejecting Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that right now will be the time of salvation for them, that they will call out to you, and that they will find salvation in Christ. I pray that they will be saved, God, this morning. Do a work in us so you can do a work through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.